Please open in your Bibles to James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25. Yeah, as you're looking at, you already know you need to put seatbelts on, right? We should have uh, had our seats uh, fitted with some seatbelts. James pulls no punches. All right, let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word to us this morning. Hear the word of God to you this morning. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning, you may be seated. Last Sunday after service, um, Brother Jason came up to me and he said, man, I just got slapped in the face. And I read it and went, whoa, you know, what happened? Who slapped you? He goes, James. And he was referring to the sermon, the message in James, because James certainly... Um, if we're talking about America to kind of give, to relate to James, he would be from Jersey. You know what I'm saying? He's one of these guys who doesn't coddle you. He doesn't sit there and beat around the bush. He's going to tell it like it is. And if you've ever read through this epistle, you see that that's exactly uh, the way James deals with us believers. Really, one of the main themes of his entire book is the reality of genuine religion of truly what it looks like when you really believe and follow Jesus, right? Um, one, one thing, one phrase that kind of covers a lot of James's book is this. Don't just talk about it. What? Be about it. That's right. Amen. Well, for those of us who talk a lot about being Christ-centered, you ever hear those, that phrase? Or gospel-centered? There are some who would lead us to believe they kind of disparage James. They kind of look down upon James. They say, James isn't very gospel-centered. He doesn't talk a lot about the gospel. Now, while it may be true he's not Paul, and he's not Peter, who definitely develop the gospel more and open it up and explain it more and get in greater detail, I've been pleasantly surprised as I've studied this epistle even thus far to see that he does base 
All of his exhortations, all of his calls for us to be holy, he does base it squarely upon the foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the grace that we received through him. We see this, and I want to bring this up before we get right into this, because, man, he's going to hit us fast and hard in a minute. I want you to see verse 18. So you can see that um, before he calls us to put our faith into practice, he, he uh, firmly places it on this great gospel bombshell. Verse 18, look at this. Speaking of God, he chose, a, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Listen, this is awesome. He's reminding us of this fact. If indeed we are in Christ this morning, if we are born-again believers, if we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, James is saying it's because God chose you first. It's because He, in His grace, not because anything you did good or any kind of good deeds, as a matter of fact, despite the fact you didn't deserve it and you're unworthy, He chose you. There's nothing new in the Bible. Remember Jesus said to His disciples, You did not choose Me. I chose you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that lasts, right? It's biblical because the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins unless God breathes his life into us. And it's interesting, James, even in accordance with the other writers of Scripture, particularly 1 Peter, he tells us the instrument that God uses to bring us to new birth is what? The Word. He chose to give us birth, that is spiritual birth, new birth, through what? The word of truth. The gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he rose on the third day and he ascended into heaven. Amen? And it's through that mediation. God, through his Holy Spirit, when you heard that word, he made it effectual. Right? And, he get, and the lights went on. You know, I heard about God for 19 years in my life and I was dead. It didn't mean anything. And then one day when that beautiful good news was heralded to me and, and it was time, God said it's time to open his eyes, all of a sudden the lights went on. I once was blind, right, the song says, but what? Now I see. There's a wonderful line in an old hymn, um, and can it be is the hymn. And sometimes this line doesn't get as much attention as the rest of the hymn, but I love it. Listen to this. this is, it's very flowery, but I love it. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Isn't that awesome? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. In other words, God and his grace and his power. Lights on. Let there be light, just like he did with creation. He did with you and me and salvation. And he did it through the word of God. So that's what we're going to see. Something very important is that what ties this whole passage together, believe it or not, is the word of God. The word of truth. That's what James is going to be talking about in this passage. He's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about we need to listen to the word. Right? We need to accept the word. And we need to do it. Hear it, accept it, do it. Pretty simple. And pretty in your face. 
So those of us, what we're going to see in the text is that those who have been given spiritual birth through the word of truth must listen to it, accept it, and do it for what? Now here's a purpose. For a blessed life. See, here's the thing. Do you want to be fooled and deceived? Or do you want to be blessed? Those are the two options God's going to give us. Right? To be fooled is to be one of these guys that came up, come up to the Lord in the end, last day and say, but Lord, Lord, we drank with you. We ate with you. We cast out demons in your name. You remember what Jesus says? Depart from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. That's to be deceived. That's to think you're right with God and you're a holy person. Only when you see God face to face for him to say, I don't even know who you are. Right? But to be blessed is what? Is to walk with God, to have his blessing, to have his smile, to, to know that even if you're going to be persecuted, you could praise his name and because you're blessed. Because you are right with him. You've been made right with your brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. You've been reconciled, that great word. And you know because of what God has done in Christ and because you're a true believer in him that when you see him face to face, instead of saying, I don't know you. He's going to say, come, blessed by my Father, enter into your rest. So that's what James is going to be dealing with. You want to be fooled or you want to be blessed. And it's all a matter of your response and relationship to the word of truth. I'm going to prove it as we look at the text. So the first thing that we're going to see And these three things is that, first of all, we must listen to the word. Look at verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, as we look at these verses, we need to see something important if we're going to understand what James is talking about here. Because sometimes we look at James and we think he's just stringing out these moralisms that don't relate to one another. Do this, do that, do this other thing, let's pray. And you're kind of like, well, where's this all coming from? Well, when we look at the context, I want you to see this. Everything he says in these verses, like I mentioned, they're all centered around the word of God, the word of truth. Verse 18, what does he say? He says he has chosen to give us birth, what? Through the word of truth. In verse 21, he says, receive what? The word that was planted in you, right? It's the word. And then in verse 22 and following, what does he say? Don't be mere hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word. So the topic is the word. Now, I know you're like, wow, why is he really belaboring this? Because I want you to see something. While it certainly does apply in a general way, these words we just read, these verses, to our daily, daily conversations with one another, in other words, we certainly should listen more than we talk with our fellows and our brothers and sisters. We certainly should try to understand people before we start giving them advice. You ever do that? You try to start pouring your heart out to someone so that they'll understand and then give you like accurate advice, but before you can even get to the second sentence, they're already talking about things. You're like, no, 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 wait, stop. Right? So in a general sense, when we come to this verse, that's what we think he's talking about. We think he's talking about, you know, listen quickly and, and, and be slow to speak. But actually, I believe, as I just showed you from the context, he's actually talking about listening carefully to the word of God before you start going around trying to blab and teach it like you know something. 
You need to listen first before you could pass on the truth. Dick Lucas puts it this way. I think this may be my only quote from him this week for my core group who always hear me talk about him, so you'll be happy. But Dick Lucas, he's an Anglican pastor. He's retired now. He's like in his late 80s, but I learned a lot from him. He puts it this way. James is saying, young man, sit down. You have two ears and one mouth. Listen to two Bible studies before you open up your mouth to give your ideas of what it means. Now, I'm going to stop just for a second because some of the older folk, you're going to relate to this. You know, when, at least for me, I first got saved and I get invited to this Bible study and you're in a circle, right? And it, let's all say what we think the verse means. Forgive me for saying this, but shoot me now. You know what I'm talking about? It's a bunch of ignorant people just sharing their ignorance. Well, I think it means it. Well, I like to think God, you're killing me. And what James says is, so, stop talking. Listen first. And then he says, and be slow with that temper of yours in discussion group. You're not going to do God any good by losing your temper with that unbeliever or the person who's a Christian and doesn't see things your way. The Lord's servant must not strive being patient with everyone. Isn't that true? Somebody doesn't see it our way. Or we're trying to share the truth and someone you know, uh, is rejecting it or, or uh, just doesn't get it and so we lose our temper. How does that promote the righteousness of God? Right? The Lord's servant, Paul says, is exactly what James is saying, should be gentle, not quarrelsome, patient with everyone. James, like a skilled surgeon, observes spiritual diseases and dysfunctions among God's people, and then he meets out just the right prescription for the cure. And notice how he addresses his readers. This is very important. So we could see the grace of God in here. We could see the love of God. It's important to see the gospel in this. He says this, my dear brothers. So he's, he's acknowledging something about his, his readers. He's acknowledging you're in the family of God. We're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. You've been saved by grace. See, all because he doesn't always say the words. I do that sometimes too. I'll go off into teaching people, start saying, well, you missed this, you missed the other thing. Well, if you want to sit here, right, for five hours, I could tell you the whole thing or I could build upon what you already know. And that's what James does a lot. He just builds upon what you should already know because he's writing to who? Christians, believers, those who know theology. And we'll see later, they knew theology so well, they had to be rebuked on some of their uh, laziness of knowing it and not applying it. So he says, Familia, turn your natural, selfish, sinful impulses to be quick to talk, quick to anger, and slow to listen on its head. Do the opposite. What you naturally want to do, by the grace of God, do the opposite. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And that temper, that fuse that goes, be slow. Be slow then maybe you'll actually learn something and have something worthwhile to say when it's time for you to speak. You know, when that time comes and somebody really needs to hear a word from God, maybe you won't have to say, hang on a minute, pastor, can you come and tell them? <laughs> maybe you'll be able to say, well, hey, I think I could share something. I've been listening. I've been learning. I've been paying attention to the word of God. And maybe you'll play a part in healing the body of Christ and bringing peace, bringing understanding instead of 
bringing dissension and separating the brethren. Because James goes on to say this. Why should we do these things? Because man's, and not be angry, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now I'm going to preach. Sometimes we think that our anger is always righteous. And I know I hear folks say to me, look, we just got to tell them, I got to tell them how I feel. They got to hear it. And normally, forgive me, but they don't mean I love their soul so much. Right? You're with me. I I love their soul so much. I just got to, you know, I want to tell them about the love of God and and just gently correct where they're wrong. What they mean is, man, I just want to spew out my venom so I can go, ah, did that feel good? That is not righteous anger. That's venom, and it spews out, and it affects everybody, and it is destruction, destructive. It doesn't bring about God's, the righteousness that God requires from us. It doesn't bring out peace and love and grace and holiness. Proverbs 16, 32 says this, Better a patient man than a warrior a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. I don't know about you, man, but that's, you know, you think about the power of taking a city, and the Bible says, listen, it's better someone who can hold his anger, who can control himself. That's the power of God. So we must be quick to listen to the word in particular. Super important to understand. Now, I remember when I was a new believer, and this is usually the case for many of us who get saved out of pretty crazy, wild, sinful lifestyle, embarrassing, bad lifestyles, that when we find out that God forgives us fully, no strings attached, and he brings us into his family as an equal member of even the, those old saints who've been working hard for 30 years, we're equal with them in the cross, under the cross. And we, we just say, That's, that, I want to know that God. And so we're starving for the word of God. So when I was young, I got a brother here who happened to come today. He knows, Tom knows me a little bit. I used to do Bible studies and go to Bible studies, and I was hungry for the word of God. And to be honest with you, it kind of shocked me when the young believers that we met in our day who, like, didn't care about Bible study at all. And one, one of our friends, I'm almost sorry now that Tom's here because I didn't want to say his name. I'm not trying to put anybody down. But he came up to me and goes, saying, you know, you're really into Bible study and learning doctrine and learning the Word of God. I'm into doing it. Now, it sounds right. sounds holy. And certainly I needed to do it more. <laughs> Today I still need to put it more in practice then. But what I saw in his life, there was a barrenness of fruit. He didn't have much fruit because he did not listen to the Word. See, I want you to see, James is not saying, do not listen to the word, period. He doesn't say, don't hear the word. Thank you. We're finished, right? We're going to see later, he says, don't merely, what? Listen to the word, but what? Put it into practice. So why do I say this? I want to say this because you've got to see, even in the text, later on, we're going to see it in just a sec- few seconds. He says this. He talks about the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and does it. So in other words, we are called to look intently into the word. We are called to listen to it. But that's the first step. The first step is listen. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak in anger. Second thing. See, we're already on point two. Second thing is we must not only listen to the word, we must accept it. 
receive it gladly. Look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now listen, anybody who's ever done any planting in a garden or anything, you realize that very quickly, if you don't deal with weeds, what's going to happen? The weeds are going to choke out the good plant, right? What you sowed. And so... That's the analogy he's given here. And look what he says. First of all, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted. So he's telling us to do an on and off thing. The the word in the Greek means to take off. He's saying take off those filthy clothes. And I used to love to give the example. A brother reminded me of it on Facebook the other day um, when we go clamming. And if you've ever been clamming with us, now I'm going to scare you. You guys are definitely not going to want to go clamming. We go in the mud. And I mean, it stinks. And when, by the time we get in this mud all day, picking out these, these clams and we scrub the mud off, by the time we get home, I will put it this way, we are mighty ripe. And it, I'll tell you how good it feels to peel this stuff off. I mean, literally, that's the sound. You ain't they nasty? And then I go in the shower and I get all cleaned up and I go, ah, right? And what James says is take that, he uses that as an analogy, he says take the moral filth that's so around us, so prevalent today. Take that wickedness and take it, take it off. And instead of taking, and and not only take that off, because that's only the first step. We got to replace the nastiness with something good. And that is the word, accept the word. Here's the wonderful thing, it's already been planted in you. Right? That's what he says. Accept, receive the word that's been planted in you. As a matter of fact, verse 18, he says God gave you new birth through it. So, sorry, that same agent that gave you new birth, he's saying accept that on a daily basis so that it will save you. Look, Curtis Vaughn puts it this way. To receive the word in the fullest sense is to so open the inner self to the influence of God's word that its truth is transfused into the heart. That's accepted. Don't just superficially agree with it or assent to it as true and right, especially for others. You ever notice we say, oh yeah, this is true. This guy needs to hear it. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, let the word have its way with you. Now, here's the thing. God saved us through the word. Remember, we first received the gospel. God changed us. He saved us in the sense, uh, the Bible talks about three tenses of salvation. Listen, follow me for a minute. The, God, uh, the Bible talks about three senses of salvation. We can get confused if we don't understand which one's being talked about. The first one is we have been saved, right? When we heard the gospel of our salvation, the Bible says we've been saved. We were, we were included in Christ when we heard the, God, the, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. But the Bible also talks about we are being saved. That means even now, God is continually saving us from this wicked age. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus. He's delivering us from evil, right? And then there's the last tense, and that is we will be saved. On that day when Jesus comes back, he eradicates sin for good. We don't have a sinful nature to fight. I don't hurt you. You don't hurt me. We don't disappoint God. We don't disappoint each other. We are saved, body and soul. And I'm going to have a new body that I don't have to always eat all the perfect things and work out and all that. I'm just going to have a glorified body. We could praise God for that, can't we? All right. So this sense he's talking about here is the second sense. We are being saved. So here's the interesting thing. 
We, the word that we receive to get saved, he's saying continue to welcome that word and accept it into your life every day. In other words, let this word, the word of God, let it have its way with you. Because notice how he says we are to receive it. Humbly accept the word planted in you. And let me tell you this. Our world has gone mad. You with me? When it talks about, when, it, when, when we deal with issues of sexual immorality, of materialism, of lovelessness, prayerlessness, godlessness, the world tries to press that stuff upon us and squeeze us into its mold. It says elsewhere, right? Romans 12. What we need to do is to be, remember when Jesus said, you must be like this little child? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about humbly saying, you are King Jesus. What your word says true, and I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to let it do its work in me and purify me. Are you with me? It's to say, I don't care if the whole world says evil is good and good is evil. I'm believing the testimony of the word. I'm going to listen to my heavenly father. I'm going to listen to my Lord who gave his life for me. I'm going to do what he says by his grace. I'm going to accept the word. Give it a warm welcome. I think it's interesting that James is saying here, far from neglecting the word, far from paying attention to it and listening to it, we should value it more than fine gold. Listen, young folks, older folks, how many of us delight to know the word and seek out the word and seek God through it? as much as we seek out video games. Am I meddling a little bit? As much as we seek Facebook, social media. As much as we seek fill in the blank, your favorite hobby. How many of us say this is riches? We have Bibles everywhere now. Online, hard copies. How much do we give ourselves to it? to understanding the message so that it might bless our lives. But that's still only the second step. We've got to go one more step if we want to be blessed and not fooled. We need to listen. We need to accept it, give it a warm welcome on a daily basis. And last of all, and this really is the punchline that James has been heading to, we've got to do it. Not just hear it, do it. Look at verse 22 with me. Do not merely listen to the word And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Brother Andrew said he noticed one key difference between people who serve God in the Bible and people who claim to serve God today. The people in the Bible disagreed with God quite vocally, but still did what he said. Today, we agree wholeheartedly with God, but we don't do what he says. Isn't that powerful? precisely what james is warning us of deceiving ourselves into thinking we're doing great spiritually that is that we're blessed and we're righteous simply because we heard the word and we agree with it simply because we gave it here's the point intellectual assent you know when folks go mm-hmm, i know that's right but then their life is a mess they don't show any, I'm not talking about imperfect, we're all imperfect. I'm talking about they don't show any evidence of even striving to do what God says. 
And, and I've had people say to me, oh, I love talking about the Bible. Oh, I love discussing the Bible. And, and like, you know, they were busted for, being, uh, for living unethically. <laughs> you know, they don't follow the ways of the Lord, but they want to talk the Bible with me. I'll tell you what, I don't have a lot of time. Oh, you know what I should do? Now, now I'm talking on my feet. Next time I go, yeah, let's discuss the Bible. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 22. Hmm, what does it say here? <laughs> be not hearers only. Amen? But be doers. That's what Jesus said. Remember we had it up on the, uh, the, uh, the board earlier. Luke eleven twenty seven 27 to 28. A woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. What did he reply? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and discuss it. No. Who hear the word of God and do what? Obey it. Obey it. Here's the thing. This is, you got to get this if you get anything this morning. We can feel that we're a lot further along in our maturity in Christ, our walk with Christ, because we know good doctrine. We can even take great pride in such knowledge. And I've had folks in my life uh, that I've seen in my life who they just wait for you to misspeak a little bit when you're talking about doctrine so they can pounce on you and correct you. I've had a guy, a guy say to me, listen, he said, my spiritual gift is correcting everybody's theology. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I want to have, no, I want to have nothing to do with that guy. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. No. What James is saying, he, again, see how much he's in such agreement with Paul and the other writers of Scripture. Remember what Paul said? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. What builds up? Love. How do we love God and one another is when we put the Word of God in practice. When we take the Word of life, the, the, even the law of liberty, which we're going to see in one more second here, and we don't just hear it, but what we do, we do it. What James does here for all of us, because he's speaking to those, to religious folk, he uses that word. What he does is this. He smashes our pride. Because no matter how far along we think we are, we look at these words of James and we realize that old saying, the biggest room for, for, in a Christian's life is the room for improvement. Can I get an Amen. So, for instance, we're going to get into it next week. I'm not going to get into it this morning. I'm going to do a whole sermon on it. Um, we're going to, James says, okay, you say you're religious. You say you're so holy. Do you keep a tight rein on your tongue? You watching what you say. Because if not, your religion's worthless. That's a little humbling, isn't it? I remember one time, and this is kind of a funny illustration because it's such a serious thing. I'll try to keep it a little light. But I was in Baltimore and um, working with a youth group when I was the associate pastor there and this one boy comes up to me and, and um, he goes Pastor Santo Pastor Santo and you know I'm in the middle of doing stuff I'm like yeah yeah what's up Michael he goes um, Colin's bothering me that was my, that's my older son and he's like Boo, and I said ah just punch him in the head and I just kept going a couple minutes later Colin comes in dad holding his face I'm like what did you tell Michael Woodland to punch me <laughs> he punched me in the face I'm like oh sorry about that See, see, I mean, one little word. Look, see what your words can do? 
I gave him permission to punch him in the head, and I certainly didn't mean to do that. Now, that's a hilarious illustration, but we realize our words can do great damage. And us religious folk, we start really feeling good about ourselves. We start thinking we're holier than other people. And James just points out one little muscle. This thing. You watching it? You have a good rain on it? And a couple other things. What about the weak? What about those who can't give back anything to you? They can't offer anything back to you. Your reward will be in heaven. You taking care of widows? You participating in your church's ministry? You can't wait to sign up when it's time to help out the orphans? That's what your religion is. These words of James are very humbling, but they are so purifying and helpful to those, to, to, to those of us who claim the name of Christ. And I'll tell you why. I don't know about you, but I know for myself, the worst thing, I, and we're closing with this, so be with me, come, stay with me on this. The worst thing that could ever happen, the biggest tragedy in the universe would be to hear, the, hear Jesus, the Lord and Savior of His people, say, I never knew you. Is that not the, chill, the most chilling thing you can imagine hearing? And James says, I don't want you to fool yourself. I want you to make sure that you are trusting in, believing, and genuinely following Jesus as Lord and Savior. And... When you see that you don't, James throughout his book is going to tell you what to do. Humble yourself. Repent. Turn from sin. Get right. That's what this book, and and he calls it, this is what's interesting. He calls it the law of liberty. Now, here's the thing. The law is not the law of liberty if you're trying to use it as a stairway to heaven. Right? Because the Bible says no one will become righteous. No one will be justified by what? Keeping the law. Why not? Because we can't keep it perfectly. Right? None of us obeys the word, puts it into practice every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year. So if we look at the law as a stairway to heaven, it's actually an opening to hell. Amen? But when we come to God through Christ, and if we've been born anew, and we know that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do in obeying the law perfectly. Now the law is what? It's a law of liberty because when we follow it, it brings blessing and health. So for instance, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? When I put that into practice, what happens? I have a blessed marriage. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. And when we put, in, put into practice all those other laws, it's for our good. God gives us laws not to restrain us. That's just the thing. But to bless us. That we might live in a way in unfettered unfettered joy before the Lord. So when we tell our children, for instance, do not lie, you shall not lie, like the commandment says, and our children don't lie, guess what happens? They're blessed. They're not locked up. They're free. So I've told, I remember my younger son Caleb, I told him when he was little, I said, son, I I will promise you something. If you are always truthful to me, no matter how much it hurts, it's going to bless you when you get older because I'll tell you why. When, when you come to me one day and your teacher, sometimes there are bad teachers, believe it or not, people who will lie, and tries to tell me that you did something, you say, Dad, I promise you I didn't do it. I'll believe you because I'll know that you have a pattern, right, of telling the truth. But guess what? If I find that you lie to me, who do you think I'm going to side with? 
It's an illustration of how the law of liberty that God gives us, it frees us, it protects us. If we're not looking at it as a way to get to heaven, but if we look at it as the way God gave it, the intention. It's to show, it's a rule to show those who have been justified by faith how to live. So don't just listen to the word, although you need to listen to it. Don't just give it a warm welcome and accept it deeply into your heart, but go to that last step and make sure, this is what James says, you put it into practice. And some, he's going to give three ways of putting that into practice, and we'll get into that next week. And for those of you who are, if you are interested, it will be on the net so you can hear that next um, passage, even if you're in North Carolina or Philly or wherever else you're going to be. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for the law. We thank you for all of your word, the law, the prophets, the writings, the gospels, the epistles, Lord, the revelation. We thank you for your full word to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would truly, by your grace, as those who have been born again through the word of truth, that we would continue to give it a warm welcome on a daily basis, that you would deliver us from this present evil age, Lord, on a regular basis. And God and Father, especially this coming week, not just sometime in the far future, but this coming week, Lord, enable us more and more and more to not only hear your word, but to do it for your glory, our good, and the furtherance of your kingdom's purposes in this community and beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.